Morning everyone, who loves the heat? Who prefers it over the cold? I wonder if that's an age thing, I just find my joints don't ache as much when it's warm. <laughs> Nothing to do with age, right, good to hear. It's just because we push ourselves more, isn't that right? Right, who enjoyed last week? Who can remember what last week was about? Good. That's right. We began our journey into the book of Galatians. Who's read it from beginning to end now? Knows exactly what I'm going to talk about today? Ah, I bet you don't. So we saw last week that Paul was upset with the churches in Galatia because they've been seduced by an alternative gospel, different to the message of salvation that Paul had been preaching. And he came and preached the message of salvation by the grace of God and somebody else came around preaching grace plus. Grace of God plus what you can do. And so Paul was ticked. In fact, really upset, you could say. And the interesting thing is that he's not talking to new Christians. He's not talking to non-believers. He's actually talking to the established church. People like you and me, really wise in the word, mature Christians... Oh, nobody's objecting, so I'm assuming that that's all, we, we're, all, we're, we're all in tune. We, we could go home now. We, we don't need to know any more about the Word of God. You know, Jesus has perfected our lives. Anybody here? No? Okay, well, I'll continue. So Paul's being mean here. He's not pulling his punches. He's serious about his message because if the Galatians are really turning their backs on God and really taking hold of a gospel that isn't a gospel at all, then their condition is really dangerous. They are in deep trouble. And so the anxiety and the anger that Paul expresses is the same as the anxiety and anger a parent expresses when they see their children doing things which are dangerous to their health or their life in any way. And so he, he's delivering a tough message. But who knows, and it's not just children, I've heard it in adults as well. If you tell somebody that they don't really want to hear often you get a bit of reaction to it and it's usually in the form of who the hell do you think you are to tell me stuff like that. Has anybody ever, ever had that? Or to, to break it down to childlike language, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> anybody ever heard that one? Well, Paul here says, well, actually, I am the boss of you. And because his message is so important, did I, did I promise last week to tell you what that message was this week? Yeah, look about that. Um, we, might, we might get to it. But there's, there's actually something really important I need to tell you first. Okay? So, it, it, actually, no, it won't be today. I did lie last week. I'm sorry. And le- it won't be next week either because Pastor Bruce is here. So, it may be the week after. Uh, well, actually, no, I think Nathan's preaching the week after that. Or no, Brendan? I don't know. They're fighting it out there. Um, Anyway, but there's some really important stuff because that is actually an important question. Because who are you to tell me this stuff is a valid question to ask. Because here we have two arguments, if you like. There's the one that Paul presented to them first about the gospel of grace. And suddenly they've been actually confronted with another argument which says that what Paul told them initially wasn't enough. There's something else they need to do to get their salvation. And so Paul 
is refuting this argument, but to get some strength behind what he's saying, he says, look, okay, why would you guys believe me? Because you, you've already fallen for this other group of people who are teaching you the wrong thing. So look, let me present my case as to why you should listen to me and not them. And so he answers the question, you know, who are you? And he says, I, I am Paul and this is who I am. And he starts off with this in Galatians 1 verse 1. He says, this is a letter from Paul. So he establishes the fact that that's who he is. And he says, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So that's a pretty strong claim. What's an apostle? An apostle is a man who's been sent with immediate divine authority. The Greek word apostolos means to be sent. Paul very clearly says, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, and so he drives home the uniqueness of the first apostles. They're apostles, if you like, with a capital A. The twelve and Paul were the only apostles to actually be taught or to see Jesus Christ himself and to be appointed by him. All other apostles that come after them are small a apostles because although their commission is from God, they're actually appointed by men. So Paul is claiming something a bit more than that for himself. He is saying that he didn't receive his apostolic commission through anyone else at all. No other apostles commissioned him. He was commissioned and taught directly by the risen Jesus himself. And we can see where that happens because uh, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, we see the story of Paul riding his donkey on the road to Damascus. And it says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, who knows what his mission was? was to kill, maim, and destroy any members of the church. So he's on a good mission, sort of. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Paul claims here that he heard directly from God and was given a mission and instructions from Jesus Christ himself. So he's setting himself up with personal authority. He's saying, I am appointed by God to bring this message, so you better listen. The second thing he says is that the message that I bring has authority of its own. He says in verse 9, if we go down a bit further in Galatians 1, he says, I say again that what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news other than the one that you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Not friendly. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. So Paul says he was sent with a particular divine message, the gospel. And this means that his divine teaching is the standard for judging who is orthodox and who is heretical. 
Even an apostle cannot alter, revise or add to the message of Christ. Even Paul. What he says is not the result of his study, his research, his reflection or his wisdom. It's God-given, unchanging and unchangeable. That is the message that he brings. There is authority in the words that he speaks. And the third thing he brings to the table is his example of grace. And he's got a really powerful one because he was, he was on fire in a really bad way. He was trying to kill every person he could find who was aligned with Jesus Christ. He had a, what he thought was a God-given mission to destroy the church. He was the Antichrist, if you like, of his time. The last person on earth you would expect God to suddenly recruit to spread the gospel. He didn't deserve it. He was a murderer, full of hate, a nasty piece of work. And suddenly, because it's fairly obvious, he didn't deserve any mercy from God. He had aligned himself against Jesus and was going hell for leather to destroy every trace of the Christian faith available. And yet, God speaks to him, changes him in an instant and sets him on the road to spreading the gospel. Did Paul deserve it? Did he study for it? Was he prepared for it? Had he gone to seminary just on the vain hope that possibly he might change his mind sometime in the future? No. It was nothing to do with Paul. It was all to do with God. And it's such a brilliant message because it's obvious. Paul did not present himself to be the builder of the modern church. He was exactly the opposite. And yet God, through his grace brought Paul to a place where he is basically the father of the Christian church. God's grace was sufficient. Paul could not have done anything. In fact, he tried his hardest to do everything in opposition to bring himself into God's good books. So it was nothing he did. So it's a, the message of grace that Paul brings is actually his example of his conversion to these people to say, look, you know, I myself are a living example of the fact that grace plus doesn't work. Because if it did work, I wouldn't be here. And so, he's brought three points to define his personal authority, the authority of the message he's bringing, and the authority of God who brought him to that place so he could bring the message. Interestingly, have you ever thought why he changed his name? Because in English, Saul and Paul, it's just replaced one letter. Sort of like he wanted to keep his identity but be slightly different so people didn't kill him on the spot because he was fairly unpopular. But it's, in, in of course, Greek and Hebrew and other languages, Paul and Saul probably don't sound anything like each other. I haven't studied it, so I don't really know. Um, but in Greek, I know that Paul means little. And a lot of scholars sort of hypothesize that he changed his name to Paul because instead of being the star of the show as, as Saul... Uh, he actually wanted to take a back seat and let God take star billing while he became small and little. And so he changed his name to Paul. At least that's one thought. That's, uh, don't go to the bank with that one. That's just something I read that's a possibility. So, Paul made sure to emphasise that he had the authority to bring this message of grace to these people. So what does that have to do with us? I mean, we've read Galatians. We know that Paul was pretty strong and we're fairly sure from 
knowing our Bible history, that the Galatians actually received his message and powered on. So that's a nice story. Finished early, we can go home. But does it have any relevance to us? Who here is an, a capital A apostle? Can I see a show of hands? None of us. So really, it's, it's sort of irrelevant, really, isn't it? None of us are going to be as good as Paul. We should just forget about it. Sort of go home. It's a nice warm Sunday. Is the cricket on? We could just go and watch some sport on TV in an air-conditioned lounge. But it does have relevance. Because even though none of us can claim to be an apostle in the same mould as Paul, and although none of us yet are called to bring correction to a whole network of churches. It may happen. Let's not discount the possibilities. We have actually all, repeat that word, all, all, all been given authority to preach the gospel and to make dis- disciples, have we not? So we are all wielding an authority. And it's interesting, I don't know about you, but I've discovered when I go to share the gospel, people want to know what authority I have to do that? You know, so what is this? How do you know it's right? Why should I listen to you? What is it about you and your message that should sway me from what I already believe or don't believe? People are, are going to question your authority to actually preach that message. Otherwise, they're going to just say, well, you're blowing hot air. Just another one of those religions out there. Why should I listen to you? Social media, the news is full of the danger of religion. One in particular, but we won't go there. We need the same authority that Paul demonstrates. Because we're not preaching to Christians. We're not addressing the church. What we're preaching to is non-believers, pre-Christians. We need to actually look at it in reverse. So let's look at the authority of grace. When we got saved... We were saved, the same as Paul, by the grace of God. And it's interesting that when we tell people about our faith, people cotton on to the idea of grace very quickly. And they actually understand that if we didn't deserve it, God gave it to us and we came out the other side, there should be something different. Is that fair enough? If if we've been touched by the grace of God, we should not be the same as we were before we were touched by the grace of God. So the first thing that people look to is to see whether we've taken a step which relies on a power greater than our own and beyond the scope of our own understanding. You see, it it says in Philippians 2.12, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you and now that I'm away it is even more important Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Notice that the instruction to work hard only comes after salvation. We cannot work for our salvation. We have to accept the grace of God. So people immediately want to see an outworking of our acceptance of the grace of God. That's the first place our authority comes from. The second place is the authority of the message. 
That's almost a no-brainer. It's the Bible, of course. And people say, oh, why do you believe it? Just because it's in the Bible. Well, who knows the Bible is the most studied, taken apart, dissected, discussed and argued about book in human history. And yet nobody has been able to deny the authority of the Bible. Use it wisely. But the authority is there in the message. Learn from what it says in the scriptures. The authority that's contained in there is incredibly powerful. And if we can actually learn to use that, if we actually take that on board, and it's not the authority in other people's life. It's not for us to, to go to people and say, see, it says there, you rotten sinner. You should be doing what it says. And we whack them over the head with it and try and make them feel bad. Avoid the people who like being whacked over the head, though. and get you into trouble. But the wisdom and the power and the authority in the scriptures should apply to us. We need to be working in that authority. We need to show people that we understand that authority, we actually yield to that authority, and that we are actually living under that authority. Because that's what people can see. You can hold up a Bible, and they, they can open it and read it, and immediately they can read it and say, well, you're not living like that. This sounds really good stuff, but I can't see that in you. Because you're not, you haven't taken on board the authority. The authority in the scriptures, we need to be living. And it's the grace of God that enables us to do that. The third thing, of course, is personal authority. Can I see a show of hands of people who have been blinded on the way to work, knocked off their ass and spoken sternly to by God? Not too many. Nobody's riding an ass to work these days? Paul's conversion experience is extremely powerful and somewhat intimidating. We would all like the certainty of such an experience because it would boost our faith. I mean, who would like to be able to say, look, I was driving to work, there was a blinding light, it wasn't a speed camera, and, the, and God appeared to me and said, here is your mission in life, go and do it. And you'd sort of think, yes, God appeared to me, he is real, my faith is enormous. I can do anything because God, you know, wouldn't that feel great? And yet most of us didn't have anything quite so powerful as that. Is that fair enough to say? And most of us struggle with the fact that, okay, we, none of us have actually ever seen God. Very few of us have heard God. We, we're sort of fumbling our way blindly through this faith thing a lot of the time. And so we sort of think, well, where's our authority come from? And the interesting thing is it's not your conversion experience that gives you authority. The authority that Paul so confidently wielded had nothing to do with how he got saved. It was all to do with what happened to him after he got saved. See, your conversion experience is important. Don't get me wrong. In telling your story about how you came to follow Christ, your conversion experience is an incredibly powerful thing to tell you. It's just that it's totally irrelevant if people can't see the change that it provoked. I'll repeat that. Your conversion experience is important. It's insignificant, though, if people can't see the change that it provoked. Our ability to fulfill the Great Commission of Matthew 28.20 relies 
on our understanding and outworking of our authority in those three areas. We need to understand that it's not by our efforts that we've been saved. It's by grace and grace alone. God has, in his power, deemed us worthy of being called sons and daughters of the Most High God. The second thing we need to understand is the authority of Scripture. Not only just understand it, but let it work in our lives so that people can see it. And the third thing, our authority comes from the change that our conversion brings. People don't want you to tell them who you are. They want you to show them who you are. And believe me, if you tell them who, the, who you are and it doesn't match with who they see you are, they will pick it like that. And they will not believe a word you say about the gospel message, no matter how clever you are, no matter how many scriptures you use, no matter how passionate you are. Because what they really want to see is somebody who has accepted the authority of God Almighty, Jesus Christ himself in those areas of their lives. Because then they will follow you. Because they will want what we have. Because that authority opens up a, a, a huge realm, God's whole kingdom of blessings for our lives. You know, we, we still go through struggles, as Vicky said earlier. But God has overcome the world. We are his children. We are the children of an overcomer. See, in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority, not just some, but all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, we know what therefore is for. It's there for a reason. Therefore, because of my authority, I give you the authority to make disciples of all nations. So here we have been given personal authority by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. That's the authority in the message. The Bible gives us that authority. The commands of God are written down for us in the Bible. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the promise of God, that the grace of God is always there for us, is always there with us. So when we come to bring a message, the same as Paul did, he had a message, a powerful message, a controversial message, because he was actually correcting something. And, and who, who likes to be corrected? No, I'm lying. And so he showed why his authority was actually worth listening to. And it is a great example for us to actually just know that we have that authority, but also how to use that authority to actually spread the gospel. Because that's what we're called to do. The same as Paul, we look at his life, and I don't know about you, but I've often looked and thought, I could never be like Paul. He is just too amazing for me to even sort of think that I could be anything like Paul. But here I read in Matthew that I've actually been given the same authority that Paul was given to spread the gospel, to stand under God's grace and to actually powerfully proclaim the message that he has given me. We are all 
just like Paul. We are all in a place where we need to be able to answer the question, who the hell do you think you are, with those three things. And that message needs to be real. You can't do it from a script. Well, I'm, uh, I'm saved by grace and uh, I believe in the Bible and uh, you need to do the stuff that Jesus said because I say so. It's not going to work. People are going to look at you and say, can I see the grace of God in this person? Can I see that the message that he preaches is obviously him or her in their life? And do they have the authority because they are living what they believe? That's how we change the world. I want to pray for three types of people right now. I want, can I get you all to stand? Can I get Jordan up for a minute? I talked about three areas of authority. The first is grace. Actually, now you've stretched your legs, you can sit down again. I was just trying to stop people falling asleep because it's pretty hot and sticky and I'm standing and I'm almost falling asleep. But just quickly, grace is the first thing that we actually have to acknowledge in our life. We are saved by grace. We cannot work for our salvation. We do not deserve our salvation. It's not a question of coming to a place where we're repentant of the things that we, we do and therefore because we're feeling sorry, we feel that, well, perhaps now I'm feeling sorry, God will actually answer my request to become a child of God. It doesn't work like that. It's purely grace. We accept something that God has given us as a gift. None of us actually deserve the gift. But God says that doesn't matter. You can accept the gift. But in accepting the gift, you have to accept the gift will change you. You don't actually have to change before you get the gift. The gift itself has the power to change you. You don't have that power before or after you get the gift. God has that power. So if we're going to wield that authority, we have to accept that grace. And the first way we do that is to actually accept the fact that God is extending grace to us that we can accept. And we can say, yes, Lord, I accept that grace. I want to be a child of God. And when we do that, we can actually, uh, Romans tells us that if we believe that in our heart and we're prepared to declare that so that men can hear us, it's not a secret society, Christianity. It's a community. We're actually called to stand and be bold. If we can do that, that's how we become children of God. We accept God's grace and we declare that we are going to follow Him. Now, I don't know everybody's heart here this morning. But if, the, if you are here this morning and you have never accepted God's grace, you have never said, okay, I'm undeserving, but I'm prepared to accept that God loves me and He wants me as His child. I'm going to accept that. If you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. If you've done it before, but you're not living as a child of God, that you've actually put your toe in the water and decided it was perhaps too cold and stepped back, that you haven't moved forward by accepting that gift, 
God will offer you that gift countless times. And this morning you can say, okay, I stuffed up the first time, but I want to to make another commitment to follow God. I want to offer that opportunity as well. So can I ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads so there's no one looking around. And if you're here this morning and you want to actually accept either for the first time or again, having possibly moved away after doing it before, if you want to accept the grace of God this morning, say, I want to be a child of God, then while nobody's looking around, can I get you right now just to pop up your hand so that I can see it? I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down. We pray together for you to accept Jesus Christ and become one of his children. Is there anyone here this morning who wants to do that? Okay. Look at me. I want to pray for those of you who want more power in the message. Sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I read the Bible and it's like eating sandpaper. You can see the words, you sort of understand that it's important, but it doesn't get in. It's, it's sort of rough, it's dry, some, sometimes it's boring. I know that's not cool to admit, but there are some bits of the Bible that I actually have found boring. Perhaps we could wipe that off the tape because you're not supposed to admit things like that. But sometimes we have to go through those times. We actually have to push through because there's revelation in that message. But sometimes you feel helpless. Sometimes it's really hard to do. But I believe God can refresh us. God can give us grace to push through that. God can reveal things when we least expect it if we're prepared to persevere with the message of God. And the third group of people I want to pray for are people who just want that personal authority. They want to move their lives into that area where people look at them and can say, there's somebody living under the authority of God. There's somebody whose life has changed. And I know we all struggle to achieve that, but sometimes it's a struggle. I believe, again, God can bring His Spirit into our lives and encourage us with that. Can I get you all to stand now? And if you want a touch of the Holy Spirit on your life regarding Scripture, I want you to come out here to receive prayer. If you want that personal authority on your life, to actually be able to stand and be a powerful witness to people, I want you to come forward and receive prayer. Because God does not want us to be hamstrung by our emotions, to be crippled by the fact that we don't think we're capable. Because His power is there. His authority is there. We don't need to be clever, good-looking, um, silver-tongued um, advocates of the God. We just need to have a recognition that the authority of God is in us. And when we speak, when we open our mouths, that authority will come out. And that's actually just a confidence in the grace of God. So Lord, I, I pray grace right now. 
Thank you, Lord, for that gift of grace. I command your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that there is a replacement going on. The things we fear are replaced by the things of God. Our lack of belief is replaced by faith. desire for the world is replaced by a desire for the king things of God. Our confidence in your grace is growing and building because we know the authority of your word. We stand in the authority that you have given us as children of God. As apostles, as disciples, as fishers of men, power of the Holy Spirit, undeserved but also unreserved in our lives, that we can stand and let that power flow through us, that we are not inhibited or discouraged by circumstance, but we stand firm in the knowledge that we are the favoured of God. We are his children, but we are his ambassadors on this earth. Lord, we pray, not our will, Lord, but yours, not our strength, but yours, Lord, and not our spirit. Take that spirit of God that's here this morning into your workplace. Don't bolster your courage. Don't bring the human elephant into it, but allow that spirit to come out in your conversation, in your action, in your interaction with other people. Let that peace of God just reside no matter what you're facing. face things, don't get me wrong, you're going to face difficulties. The trick to facing them well is to putting their priority at at least number two but no higher. Because if you put God number one, all things are possible. Through Christ who strengthens you and me. Because we are called according to his purpose. Is that right? You guys may be seated. Thank you.